This is Stacey Hillier, and you are listening to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Prophetic Collective. Today on the podcast, I am launching a brand new series that we're calling Revival Reflections. As you may or may not have heard, we are in the midst of a really significant outpouring at my home church, which is Numa Church. And it has been a season of the most incredible growth, stretch and transformation. So I want to share with you and some of my friends are going to share as well throughout this series, what God has been doing, what he's been teaching us, what he's saying and who we are becoming. And so today, as we launch this brand new series, I'm going to give you the background story, share some testimonies and talk about how God is moving all across the earth right now. So let's begin by going back to 2022. On August 28, the day that my life changed forever, it was following our annual revival conference and the Holy Spirit was poured out in an unprecedented way, certainly in my life. And I believe in the history of our church and we're actually the oldest Pentecostal church in Australia, nearly a hundred years old. And I've never seen anything like this. I've never been part of anything like this. We're in the midst of it right now. I do just want to say that as I explore this topic of revival reflections, that it's super important that I'm very clear that I'm not saying just because I'm sharing from my experience about what God's doing in our church, that we have the market share on revival. God is actually doing the most amazing things right across the earth right now. But I'm just going to speak from my experience of what he's doing in my life, in the life of my friends, in the life of my church. And I just believe it's going to bless you. So here we are, August 28, we had Pastor Ben Fitzgerald, who is just a weapon. He was ministering to our church and Jesus showed up in a way that our morning services actually did not end for several hours, about 12 hours. People didn't leave. In fact, as word got out, the numbers actually grew and people started to come and join the service from all over. And so what was happening was actually mass deliverance, repentance, worship, prayer, prophecy, intercession, moments of silence. And this just continued in wave after wave across the day. And our lives, mine, my life was irrevocably changed into almost like this before and after story. And in the 10 months since, our lives have been turned upside down, transformed, stretched, refined and remade, only for that process to happen all over again daily. Our church is actually unrecognizable, stretched, refined and remade and and transformed into Uh, I guess, more of the bride that's in the Lord's heart. And our church is unrecognizable in the way that people that I've done life with for over a decade look more like Jesus. They look completely different. It's been such an honor and such a privilege to see people's lives uh, just completely changed. I preached a sermon somewhere in the midst of all of this where I jokingly referred to that Sunday as Super Bowl Sunday because of how long the Super Bowl goes for (laughs) from my limited understanding of American football. And somehow that little title stuck. And so we're calling this the Super Bowl Sunday of our church. So we refer to that life altering day 
as Super Bowl Sunday, you'll hear that throughout this series. But today I actually wanted to share what was going on in the lead up, what happened on the day itself, what the few weeks immediately following were like. And then in future episodes, we're going to explore what we're learning, who God is transforming us and our church into. And I don't share any of this like we have any idea what we're doing because we don't. Uh, We have no idea and we joyfully boast only in Christ and Christ crucified, but we acknowledge that God is moving and we're excited and we want to share about it because it's unprecedented and it's beautiful in so many ways. This is just what God is doing in our small corner of the world. So let's start with the lead up to Super Bowl Sunday. And this isn't about giving anyone a formula because there actually isn't one, but simply because this is our story. And to be honest, it's the biblical narrative of many revivals throughout history too. So I'd say the first ingredient that I think really contributed to um, God doing what he's done is that we fasted. Each year in our church life in the lead up to our revival conference, we enter a season that we call consecration. And this is based on Joshua chapter three, verse five, where it says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And in Acts 13, soon after the Holy Spirit had been poured out, we read in verses one to three, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this word in this little passage that's used for worshipping the Lord is the same word that's used to describe the ministry of the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. Now, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So in Acts 13 here, we've got these people, uh, this church, ministering to the Lord and fasting as priests, the priesthood, that same word, 1 Peter 2, 9. Now we're being told you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In fact, it has always been God's intention that we would all be part of the priesthood that ministered to the Lord. Right back in Exodus The Lord says to Israel at Mount Sinai, at the scene of one of the most epic corporate visitations in our people's history, in Exodus 19, 6, God says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's heart has always been that we would be a kingdom of priests. And I'm going to unpack this more about the priesthood believers in a future series coming up called Worship Reformation. So I'm not going to go into it too much today, but the point I'm trying to make is as the church in Antioch, including Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul were ministering to the Lord as the royal priesthood and fasting, which was the intention of God's people from the start. In their culture of the day in Acts, 
the fasting was actually an act of grief, grief because they missed Jesus. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out after they'd been ministering to the Lord and fasting because they longed for Jesus. Now, our consecration season as a church is a time where we remember our role as the royal priesthood. And we fast because we're lovesick enough for our bridegroom to go without a meal. So we fasted. This was one of the things in the lead up. The next thing is we prayed. At the start of 2022, we actually employed a full-time pastor within the prophetic pillar. I oversee the prophetic pillar to uh, help us with all things prayer because we felt the Holy Spirit leading us that way. And I had a role description actually for this role that was ready to go for over a year, but the Holy Spirit's timing was the start of 2022 and he sent the perfect person and you're going to meet her in a later episode. But essentially her role was to amplify every expression of prayer right across the life of our church. So this includes 24-7 prayer, intercession, pre-service prayer in all of our services, altar ministry in every service, which is this harp and bowl that we read about in Revelation. Again, I'm going to cover that harp and bowl concept in the Worship Reformation series that's to come later in the year. Um, She helped us launch healing rooms, Sozo, the upper room. We had people coming into the church, praying in tongues for hours on end, actually for a year leading up to this outpouring. And we just have seen the saints really equipped in many, many expressions of prayer. And that was a real priority for at least a year leading up to this. And we made a big transition in our prayer ministry back in 2019, where we went from a prayer team that was about 0.025% of our church base that were like the special tactics and ops team that would come in and pray to prayer ministry rather than team where every leader in the life of the church was equipped and trained and knew how to pray in their everyday life and knew how to pray for somebody else. And so people who attend our services at NUMA always comment on the amount of prayer. It increased prior to the outpouring and we weren't praying for an outpouring at all. I mean, we were praying for more of God and we were praying for him to move, but there was no way we could have imagined what God was going to do. So don't hear I'm saying we were praying for a certain result. We were praying because we were ministering to the Lord and because we're lovesick for Jesus. But the result of this intentional Uh, upping of prayer, I believe this is one of very important ingredients that meant that God found a place and a people that were desperate enough to do something different. And it made us a place that his glory could land on. It hasn't always been easy for us to change this prayer culture, um, but it has been the fuel. Prayer has been the fuel and we fight for it. And in fact, there's never been a revival in history without a furnace of prayer. And again, we'll talk about that with my friend Erin in a later episode. So we fasted, we prayed. Here was another, I believe, really important thing that the Lord did. We returned to our first love. About two weeks prior to our revival conference during our consecration series, the Lord actually spoke to me around the theme of the Australian church in particular returning to her first love. And it was interesting that we started to see this global theme appear across his church right across the globe. And he actually showed me a vision 
of seven lamps with flames. And these torches had recognizable logos on them. And I recognized them as the logos of certain churches. And it was a very sobering vision because he was actually coming and snuffing out some of the flames. And the vision only lasted for about two torches being deflamed. And I'm glad because it was very confronting. And out of this visionary encounter, he led me to Revelation chapter 2 and asked me to speak a message. And, and many other people were speaking this message across our church and across the globe about a revival of first love. And when I took my notes to our apostle, Pastor Corey, he said, you will preach this message all over the world. And it's been amazing what God has done with his message to the church. I have preached it all over this nation to some significant lampstand churches. But in our church, this message and this theme was a real pivot point. Something shifted as God continued to prepare us. So we're actually going to read together Revelation 2 verses 1 to 7. So this is Jesus speaking, it's in red, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. And Jesus is speaking to John here uh, and telling him, I want you to write a letter to these seven local churches. And he says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we went on this whole journey as a church of remembering, repenting, returning and rekindling our first love flame. And this was just weeks before this outpouring. It was very understandable that the Lord would need to address this in his church because for us in Melbourne, we'd just come through two years of lockdown, um, the most locked down city in the world. And as part of that, there was this phenomenon that psychologists were talking about and sociologists were talking about, which was basically where we had what was called crisis fatigue. And when you're in crisis fatigue, you actually begin to numb your emotional center in your brain because you cannot cope with the amount of catastrophic things that are happening in your life. Now, in Melbourne, we had an earthquake, we had water we couldn't drink, we had no power, we had a worldwide pandemic, let alone people's personal issues. So when you're facing that many catastrophes, particularly in first world nations, your brain numbs its emotional center. Here's the problem with that. We can't selectively numb emotions. So if we numb to cope with the stress of catastrophe, we actually numb our ability to connect in intimacy with Jesus himself. So it doesn't surprise me that coming out of a season like a worldwide pandemic, that one of his messages to the global church was reawakening our first love. So we did go on this journey from this passage, Revelation 2, 1 to 7, we remembered our first love, we repented where we had fallen, we returned to him, and then the Holy Spirit rekindled our flame. And this was a very important element. Okay, the next thing I would say that was an ingredient, there is no formula, but an ingredient that I know the Lord landed on in the lead up was there was a whole bunch of repentance. 
And I just touched on this in first love, but it wasn't just repenting for falling from our first love. Uh, There was a moment on Super Bowl Sunday where the room shifted because our apostle took to the platform with a microphone and actually repented of man-made control. That has been a stronghold in God's church for a very long time. And it's definitely something that I think our leadership in church life, I know myself, have struggled with is not controlling and even trying to contain the way the Holy Spirit moves because we've got multiple services. We want to get as many people in and out as we can. And I think without us meaning to, what that has resulted in is we need to stop the flow of the Holy Spirit when we need to stop it because we've got people to get out of car parks and into car parks and new services to start. And it's like one degree at a time before we end up in this place where we're actually trying to control the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so there was this moment of public repentance for man-made control. Okay, another massive pivotal point was the breaking of the fear of man, breaking free of the fear of man. There was deliverance from the fear of man. Yes, Christians were delivered. Hallelujah. Uh, During the Friday night of the conference, uh, Pastor Ben Fitzgerald preached his signature message, life-changing message on breaking free of the fear of man. And my goodness, did people get free. And people were standing on their chairs spontaneously and yelling, freedom, freedom. I mean, these are people I know. They do not get on their chairs and yell freedom, but they were delivered of fear of man. And there they were, William Wallace style, on their chairs, screaming freedom. It was epic. So there were, I guess, those significant events that happened in the lead up to our Super Bowl Sunday. Again, I'm not trying to give a formula. I'm just sharing what I believe were pivotal moments that allowed the Lord to pour out the way he wanted to. So let me try to put into words what this 12 hours was like. I think the only way I could describe what was happening is people kept coming into the room. You've got to understand this was not platform driven. And the musicians were all on their faces on the platform. In fact, the next day we came back for a meeting and we had to search for microphones. We didn't even know where our microphones had gone because we'd gone down just in the holiness and awe and in the spirit in reverence of the Lord and things like microphones didn't matter and they just rolled and some of them were hidden underneath like risers and all kinds of things. Some had fallen off platform and all the things you're not meant to do happened. So this was not platform driven. There wasn't music or or worship necessarily happening because people were just being so impacted by Jesus. And because none of it was platform driven, you'd hear these waves of just people crying out Jesus' name, people repenting out loud because fear of man was gone. They just didn't care. You'd hear people weeping. You could sense that Jesus was walking around the room and himself was delivering people. And you would hear just these squeals as demons came out of God's children. And it's the most amazing deliverance I've ever seen because it was kind. It was so kind. It was so drenched in the presence of Jesus. And I guess the only thing I could compare that day to was if I lived in the pages of the Gospels, when Jesus would enter a town and there was a crowd pressing up around him and some people would touch him and get healed, like the woman with the issue of blood, and then just begin to spontaneously praise and clap hands and, and thank Jesus for their healing. Other people, as Jesus would enter a village, would demons would manifest and they would get healed. That was happening. Other people would just cry out his name and, and, and worship him. That was happening. 
I think about when God's presence filled the temple and the ministers couldn't minister. That happened. It was like being in the pages of scripture that I've spent my life reading. And it was life-defining. And once you've tasted and seen that, you can't go back. I compare it to this. It's like Nicodemus in, in John 3 when he goes to Jesus by nighttime and he's like, you know, explain to me what it means to be born again. Like, how could I re-enter my mother's womb? It didn't make any sense to his logical mind. I feel like if I tried to be the person I was before this encounter, if we tried to be the church we were before this encounter, then it would be like us trying to enter back into the womb of a previous season and it just would not work. So there's only moving forward for us. We're ruined forever. So now the art is how do we follow? How do we move forward on a way we've never been before? So in future episodes, I'm going to talk about the crazy few weeks that followed. So I won't say too much about that other than to say, I'm going to acknowledge we did some things well and we did some things really badly. And I want you to learn from that. And I'll be super honest about that. And so will my friends. But I wanted to, I guess, begin to wrap all this up by sharing some testimonies of what we've seen God do in the last 10 months. We have uh, so far 14 confirmed healings of cancer with scans. I'm talking people who um, did not have long to live with scans free of tumors, riddled, their bodies riddled with them. We've seen a creative miracle with an optic nerve created and sight in an eye that had never been there before. We've seen at least two cases of scoliosis healed. Uh, I was praying for a young lady for scoliosis. I had my hand on her back. I literally felt her bones crack and be put back into place. Um, she was completely healed. When she landed, because she'd come to visit our church, when she landed back home in her hometown, her family was like, why are you so tall? Um, we've got scans of scoliosis being healed. Recently, a uterine tumor of 18 millimeters. This woman, our whole church prayed for her. She went, uh, this isn't platform led. This is the saints praying, getting around people and praying. And she went back for her surgery and it had completely disappeared and she did not need surgery. We've seen skin conditions made completely new. I'll probably share about that in future episodes. We've had allergies and anaphylaxis healed. People who couldn't eat entire food groups just healed like that now can eat everything. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of recorded knees, backs, necks, supernaturally healed. When I travel now, people will come up and say, hey, I visited one of your revival services and, and look at me and they'll start running in front of me like, hey, I haven't done this in 20 years because the Lord just healed them. It's just been incredible. God has been so good to us. And more than anything, I'm not who I was a year ago and either is our church. And our church looked like Jesus more and more every day. And it's inspiring and it's magnificent and it's so good. And only God you know, my kids look more like Jesus because revival is family. And I've tasted and seen and I just can't go back. And so I acknowledge God is doing this all across the earth. We do not have the market share. He is moving powerfully. And if you are in the midst of seeing God pour out in your personal life or your corporate life, I would love to hear about it. So that is the launch of our Revival Reflections, and it's just the beginning. In coming weeks, we're going to talk about uh, attempting to sustain a move of God. Lol, even about that statement, so I'll unpack that. Finding joy in repentance, that's new. Oh my gosh, there's such joy in repentance. The sound of revival and so much more. So make sure you stay connected. 
Next week, I've got a friend of mine coming to talk about, I guess, one of the first things that we really learned in this outpouring, which was flex, stay flexible. Let me tell you, an outpouring will break you pretty quick if you don't learn to stay flexible. So we're going to chat about that. So good to be back with you. Love you. Do all the things like rate and review. It really helps us to get to more listeners, but can't wait to talk to you soon. See ya. Thank you.